You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 569 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowling, coming to you live on a Thursday morning. Interesting recording time, as you'll see in a moment. There's a reason for that. It's because I have a guest in the form of Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report. That's a fun interview that I've already recorded, so that's coming very, very soon. I do want to address one thing before we get to Jonathan Wasserman. That's that a new mock draft came out from good friend of the program, Sam Messini of The Athletic. I'm on record as saying Sam is, I think, the best in the business at doing this, so I wanted to pass this along. I had a lot of questions about my reaction to it, so I wanted to pass along a little bit of my thoughts there. Uh, Just so you guys know, the picks that were in play were Jarrett Culver at 5 for the Hawks, Sekou Demboya at number 9 for the Hawks, Matisse Teibel at 35, Chimo Okiki at 41, and Marcos Luzada Silva at 44. Um, no huge surprises here for me. There's a couple of uh, notable things, though. You know, Culver at 5 is not a... Uh, out of the box projection. We talked about Jared Culver quite a bit on this podcast, and we continue, and we will definitely continue to do that in the future. Um, in this case, he went ahead of guys like DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. That's not a huge surprise to me. I would actually have Culver ahead of those guys, and if this draft went as it was at this point, obviously the draft order is probably going to change. But uh, the top four in this instance were sort of the big three of Zion, Morant, and R.J. Barrett, followed by uh, Darius Garland. And if the Hawks had the next pick, they should be taking Culver. In my opinion, that's who I would take, but uh, not a huge swing either way there, so not not too many thoughts. Um, At number nine, Sekou Demboya is a little bit of a surprise in some ways, but uh, he's a polarizing guy. You know, a lot of people have him in the top five, six, seven picks. Some have him outside the lottery. He's a very raw very young prospect from Europe and uh, one of those one of those guys who could be polarizing in that way you know the Hawks being able to have two picks in the lottery would allow them to take a bigger swing perhaps like there was one mock draft or I guess not really a mock draft um, linking I guess it actually was Jonathan Wasserman now I think about it uh, linking as, as a potential surprise pick bowl bowl in the lottery for the Hawks I would rather have Deboya than bowl but it's sort of the same theory you're allowing to you taking sort of a safer pick at number five with Culver and that allows you to take a bigger swing on upside at number nine uh, I would not necessarily do that with, with either Seku or bowl bowl but certainly uh, Deboya is a projected lottery pick for a reason he's very very talented and uh, the more I watch him the more I like him frankly so we'll see how he uh, proje- we'll see how he progresses as the draft um, sort of nears here. Second round's not quite as important as usual, but the, the big steal here for the Hawks would be Matisse Thibel at 35. I can see why that would be the case. You know, Sam outlines a little bit of why that is. Um, it's a situation where Thibel is definitely a defense-first prospect, and he functioned in sort of a weird zone defense at Washington. We're going to talk about him more as things get um, further deep into the draft here. But uh, Tybal, if you believe his defensive impact from this year and the weird sort of Syracuse-like zone that Washington was playing, that you definitely would think he's a better prospect than this. I have him as a first-round pick uh, in my mind. But at 35, if he was available, that'd be sort of a slam dunk for me if you're the Hawks because of the fact that they just need defensive talent. He brings that to the table. I like his offensive tools a little bit more than guys like Charles Matthews who are in a similar vein defensively um, as potential wing stop. Tybal, I think, can hold up offensively. We'll see if that happens, and that's sort of the swing skill for me, but he is a very interesting prospect. Um, 41 and 44, less interesting in some ways, but Chimo Kuki, Okiki, I can't say his name, my apologies, um, is actually a guy who I had as a potential first-rounder before he tore his ACL um, in the NCAA tournament. That obviously adds some... uh, 
interesting dynamics in play. But at 41, if you want to take a guy who is who is sort of a first round talent, maybe redshirt him for a half season or a full season. Uh, there's no really there's no real issue with that. If you're the Hawks, want to take a big swing, that's probably a good place to do that. Um, and at 44, a guy like Luzana Sil- Silva, I'm not overly familiar with necessarily. I've seen him play a few times, and I'll be doing some more deep dive on uh, what's going on with him, but it's probably a stash pick. As I said before, it doesn't seem likely that the Hawks are actually going to make and take uh, five picks in the in the draft. They could take five, but if they do that, um, I think the most likely avenue would be at least one, if not two, stash picks, and that Luzada Silva seems to be a consensus top 50, top 60 kind of guy who would fit the bill at number 44. So that's just some brief thoughts on that mock draft. People were asking me to weigh in a little bit, so no real issue with it. I would not be exactly what I would do, especially at number nine with Seku, but frankly, uh, in, the, in this class, you could probably convince me that the best possible pick for the Hawks in this particular scenario at 5, 35, and 41 with Culver, Tybal, and Okiki might be the guys who I'm picking those spots. So can't really argue too much with, a, uh, with, that, with, with that kind of projection. And we'll definitely have Sam on the podcast to discuss all these guys and much, much more later on in the process. Before we get to Jonathan Washman, I do want to take a moment to tell you about the good folks at Zip Recruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, a place where growing businesses can connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't just stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, Zip ZipRecruiter analyzes each one of them and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great potential match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at the exclusive web address ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. Because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. All right, and without further ado, here is my interview with Jonathan Washerman of Bleacher Report. Jonathan, thank you for thank you for joining me, sir. How's everything going? Everything's going well. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. So uh, you know, it's it's draft time. We're not fully in the throes yet. The, the combine hasn't happened. The lottery hasn't happened, and we're getting kind of warmed up here. But um, you know, before we get to specific prospects, I wanted to ask you. You know, there's the uh, overwhelming sense that this is not the strongest draft in the world. A, do you agree with that? And B, if there is value to be found in this draft, where do you think it actually lands? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I, I always hate to say if a draft is strong or weak before it actually happens, because how many how many years do we see a, a, you know, a player who goes number 10 overall and turns into an all-star, and you just couldn't really picture that before the draft? And so I, that very well could happen this year. It's also possible that outside of Zion, you know, a lot of these guys just are, you know, decent role players. So... It's tough to confidently say one way or the other um, if it's going to be a strong draft or weak draft. But I will say, you know, where to define value, you know, uh, from the four to 30 range, you could have, you know, I, I like to say the same guy could be number five on one board this year. It could be number 25 on the uh, on another team's board. So really outside of the top three, anything goes, uh, you know, you could find value in the 20s. You could find value in the 30s. You could find it in the teens. You just uh very tough to predict who's going to kind of bust through the ceiling that we kind of already put on them. Yeah, I think we're on the same page there. I think it's kind of just, it's pretty flat and that, that can provide some value, can provide some interesting stuff. And of course, somebody will pop. It almost always happens that we don't necessarily foresee. Um, you mentioned the top three. I'm going to assume that means Zion, John Morant, and RJ Barrett. Am I right about that? You are. Uh, are you someone who thinks RJ is sort of in the class? I know there's been sort of a... Um, 
a split a little bit on RJ. I think he's still a consensus top three guy, but there's almost a feeling in some circles that Morant is now like a firm number two. Or do you think those guys are kind of close together in Morant and uh, RJ? Yeah, I think they're close together. I'm not sold that Morant is, you know, the next Westbrook. And uh, I feel pretty safe to say that Barrett's going to be a productive pro uh, for a long time. Team needs are going to play a role in who goes two versus who goes three. I think a lot of um, a lot of teams may have them, um, you know, ranked the same with the same type of grade. And, and teams will tell you when that does happen, you use team needs and fit as a tiebreaker. So I, I don't think that either one of them have, you know, a solid case over the other. And, and uh, we'll see once the lottery plays out and the, the order plays out, uh, we'll have a better idea of, you know, who's the, the favorite to go after Zion. And you know this is uh, this is obviously a Hawks podcast, and it's uh, interesting because I, I don't think that John Morant would be the greatest fit in the world for the Hawks. <laughs> and one of my one of my questions that I've been asking everybody um, and kind of sharing my thoughts on is what would happen if the Hawks get the number two pick. And I've kind of kind of on record as saying that I would be putting it up for auction pretty much. But um, sounds like you might be higher on RJ than I am. So would you just be comfortable taking RJ at number two if you were someone like the Hawks? It doesn't it doesn't need a point guard. I mean, I'd certainly make some phone calls and, and see if you could shop the pick. I, I'm not crazy high on RJ. He's uh, he wouldn't be my favorite number two pick overall, you know, over the last decade. But uh, if they can't find good value through a trade and get maybe a veteran uh, who, who can help sooner, since looks like the Hawks are are uh, further along than we would have expected, I think uh, this early in, in John Collins and Trey Young's career, if they can't get a veteran to come in. Um, and move the needle for them, I think they would end up taking uh, RJ over John Morant. Yeah, like you said, very tough to picture uh, Trey and John Morant playing together, both guys who uh, really need the ball and, and really lack size for defense. Yeah, it's kind of interesting in that you know three of my top 10, maybe 12 prospects are, are point guards in this class, and it makes it it makes it tough. I, mean, I guess maybe I want to see if you agree with me on this, but you know I think especially Garland and Morant would be really tough. Maybe Kobe White potentially could fit a little bit better, but even then, mm-hmm. I think he's probably more of a point guard, and that makes it tough. Do you think the Hawks could rationally take any of those guys with a top eight, nine pick? I mean, they could take him with with Dallas first round pick, uh, just as a, a, a best player available type, and figure that they can get good value. I think, uh, what are they projected to pick uh, ninth? So, yeah, it's in there somewhere. Yeah, so I mean, if they thought that, that Kobe White was the best player available at nine, uh, I don't think they'd worry too much there with their second pick about how he fits with Trey. Uh, Kobe White was one of the best spot up shooters in the country, which, you know, bodes well for his fit playing at the two, and he's also 6'5. But uh, again, go back to the same the defensive concerns. Are they going to be able to, to uh, you know, deny dribble penetration with Trey and Kobe or with Trey and Garland and, uh, to have your your biggest two guard uh, be six foot three, I mean, unless you see Jay McCollum, you know, there's not much margin for error, particularly on defense. Yeah, especially with the the, the defensive questions that are already on the roster. You know, even even outside of Trey, you know, obviously Trey, that's one thing that he has to worry mm-hmm. about, but not the greatest defensive talent on the current roster uh, right. right now. Um, so. You know, most of the time, I think in uh, Hawk circles, you know, unless they get lucky in this lottery and jump into the top two or three, there's been in sort of a debate on what they should do if they land in that you know five six range with guys mm-hmm. like Jarrett Culver and DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. Um, do you have a preference on that, like on, on your favorite of those uh, wings, because that's sort of a, a very common projection for the Hawks these days? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. They they could use help uh, on the wing and. Um, and there's a bunch of them who are going to be right in that conversation with DeAndre Hunter, who I think made a really strong case for himself in that national title game. I hate to take one game and, and have it affect my 
personal rankings, but he he pretty much uh, held Jared Culver in check. And Culver's another guy from Texas Tech who could be in that mix as well. And I think in that one game, it was pretty obvious Culver just couldn't match up physically, couldn't create enough separation against Hunter, who's got that NBA body. So um, I think Hunter is going to be a popular, trendy pick, you know, among websites and, and media, and certainly just based on fit, he's going to be a guy who who works uh, in that lineup. But um, yeah, they're going to give a lot of guys looks. Even Siku Dumbuya from France kind of fits as a, a defensive prospect who could play the three four. Um, who else you got? You know, Romeo Langford from Indiana uh, could be a, a shooting guard who moves up the, the rankings if he shoots well during pre-draft workouts. He had a thumb problem throughout the year, so it's possible that you know his three-point percentage was lower than it may have been. So there's going to be a whole bunch of guys that they're going to look at. I think right now Hunter would be the safe pick. I know you mentioned Reddish. It's some guys love Reddish and they're <laughs> yep. completely ignoring what, you know, everything that they saw this year. And some guys are like, how can you take a guy that high who just shot 35%? So I don't know what the Hawks specifically think. It's definitely worth looking at Reddish during the pre-draft process. But I think when it comes down to it, they're going to feel safer taking a guy like Hunter. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, he's very divisive based on what we saw this year. Even though I've, I've kind of heard the Hawks like him, but it's been a while. I'm not really sure if that's still the case, and we'll, we'll see mm-hmm. how that happens in the, uh, in the future here. Uh, one guy I want to ask you about specifically that's sort of like Reddish and is all over the place is Nas Little, because there are some Hawks fans that, I've, that I hear from that really like him, and some that just kind of are out based on his rookie, based on rookie year, based on his freshman year in college. Uh, you know, are, where are you on Nas Little? Is he still a lottery projection guy for you, or has he fallen quite a bit for you? For me, he's he's falling. Um, I I had him high. I'm not gonna lie. I had him top five to start the season, and I bought into uh, the high school showcase events last year, where he was, you know, the top player at Jordan Brand, top player at McDonald's. And I know there has been questions about his fit and his role at North Carolina, but even when he did have the ball, I just didn't see it. I know physically he's very impressive, and this isn't to say he's not an NBA player. He's still at 19 with that like unbelievable frame, and if he could add skill over time. But uh, a couple things just stuck out, stuck out, you know, 23 assists in 36 games. He's just not a guy who, who can do much off the dribble. And uh, 14 to 52 from behind the arc. I, I just don't know what his core strength is. What, what, when he gets into the league, what can we bank on from Nazir Little every single night? And, uh, you know, maybe a, a nice finish here and there. And he has some nice sequences of, of straight line jives and, and occasionally the pull up. But we just didn't see enough of it. And he just didn't look polished enough um, at either end of the floor, really, for me to say he's a lottery prospect. So I think he's a nice value if, if you know you get him later in the draft. But I, if I'm the Hawks, I wouldn't even really uh, look at him too much. Unless, of course, guys can always get better after the season and improve their shooting. And shooting is such a, a big part of this whole process. And um, so we'll, we'll see what he does during workouts. It's very possible he's a better shooter than he showed this year. But I still, I think top 10 uh, would be too high for me. Yeah, he and Reddish are going to look good markets, I think, if they make shots. It's just whether um, whether that actually clicks beyond that. Um, you know, the Hawks also have this interesting conundrum in the front court where John Collins was awesome this year. He's playing the four, not exclusively, but for the majority of the time. But, you know, he can play some five, and there's this question about what, what they should do to sort of partner with him in the front court. Um, I'm not sure how much you've seen of him. I think you've seen enough of, obviously, pre-draft stuff, but now that he's been in the league, um, you know, there's this question about whether the Hawks should consider a true big in this, with their potentially with the Dallas pick especially. Is there somebody or maybe one or two guys that you would think are quality enough prospects to take in the top ten in this class that are sort of true center types? 
Yeah, no, I I like Collins at the five. That's definitely you know a fun thing to do. Throw him there. Um, if if his shooting continues to improve, then I think you can put a true center next to him, like Jackson Hayes, uh, who who is uh, the Texas freshman, just averaged near four blocks per forty minutes, uh, eighteen years old. So he, he's still on the raw side and doesn't bring much offensively. But uh, I think Collins has turned into a pretty good offensive player, and you could pair him with a defensive specialist like Hayes, who's pretty much just a rim runner, going to give you efficient finishes and and protect the rim and even switch out around the perimeter defensively. Uh, I think that's where his value is going to lie, Hayes, and I think he's going to be somebody the Hawks have to look at. Um, but you know, like you said, I, I don't watch enough Collins, but from the numbers and from the eye test, it looks like his shooting um, is improving and, and uh, going in the right direction. So if he becomes a shooter, that really opens up uh, more possibilities for for who to pair him with in the front court. Brandon Clark from Gonzaga is another guy. He's a little bit undersized for a true center, but uh, I think in today's league, it's not that big a deal if you're a couple inches shorter, uh, particularly when you have the bounce of a guy like Brandon Clark. Uh, shot 70% from the field and blocked four and a half shots per 40 minutes. So those type of guys, I think you can pair with Collins, assuming he does continue to improve as a shooter. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Clark because he's someone that I know the internet loves. I, I really like uh, quite a bit as well. And you know, if, if you think he can defend bigs, and obviously he's a great athlete, as long as the size isn't a concern for you, how much should his age be concerned? Because he was obviously really, really good this year, really productive, basically you know the second best player in the country. If you look by the numbers uh, after Zion, but yeah. you know how much is that? How, how much is that of a product of him being a little bit, maybe not even a little bit, a lot older than a lot of these guys are? You know, I think you just have to accept that if you're going to take him in the nine range that you know he may not be an all-star type player but at 22 years old um i think he his strengths are going to translate regardless right his his running and jumping ability is going to translate uh, i think right away and maybe he doesn't have that window to improve offensively he's not going to be a guy you give the ball to in the half court and say go get me a basket but i don't think he has to be that guy to justify number nine overall value i think he's his value is going to lie within his ability to make plays without needing plays run for him, uh, reacting off the ball, not needing touches, not needing dribbles. Uh, and I think if you can get a good guy like that at number nine, particularly with your second pick, I think that's fine. So uh, at, at that point of the draft, I wouldn't worry to him about him being 22 years old. Uh, I I'd maybe question his upside, but uh, you know who cares at, at that point? You're getting a guy who I think you know can come in and, and uh, his strengths, uh, playing to his strengths, that's that's something that can carry over. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wanted to ask you about one more guy in the lottery that I want to get your thoughts on a couple of potential, you know, late first, early second kind of guys. Um, what do you make of Goga? Is it Goga? Is that how you pronounce his name? I'm not even sure I've ever yep. heard it actually said out loud. Um, he yeah. seems to be really rising for some people, like to the to the point where people he's like projected as a top ten pick in some circles. Are you that high on him? And uh, what does he look like as a uh, long term prospect? Yeah, Goga is, uh, he, listen, he'd been on the radar for a couple of years, but never kind of did anything with the attention. And, and this season, uh, he really just put it all together. And he's 19 years old. He's 6'11". I think he's around 250. Um, he moves well. He's not an explosive athlete, but he's shooting improved big time this year, even though if there wasn't a big sample size of threes. But uh, I think it was 23-59 from downtown. In EuroLeague, he averaged uh, over 12 points. Uh, over two blocks and shot uh, 55% from the field. Uh, and, you know, teenagers rarely even get minutes in EuroLeague. And he's putting up some pretty big numbers. He only played 13 games there. But uh, just based on the eye test, based on his progression, um, and, and if you're going to buy into his shooting, which I am just 
having looking at his shot, he looks really comfortable out there. Uh, and there's you know some concerns about his defense have always been I thought overblown. He moves his feet pretty well. He's he's more of an older school center who plays mostly down low as a pick and roll guy and the post guy. But I think he's evolving and becoming more of a modern day guy uh, with the shooting, with occasional flashes of, of foot speed around the perimeter. And so uh, he's just one of those guys. Again, you know, once the talent starts to run out, once the obvious names start to run out um, in the top five or seven or so, I think he's worth taking in that. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, yeah, at number nine, I, I think I have him on my board around number 10 or 11 overall. So I'm, I'm high on him. I, I really buy into his breakout. Yeah, I've got, I've got more film to watch there, but uh, he seems to be pretty intriguing. A lot of people that I trust, including yourself, mm-hmm. are seeming to be pretty high on him. So uh, a very interesting guy. I uh, wanted to ask you about one more guy. It's one that I, actually you um, wrote about earlier this week, um, potentially as a, sort of a surprise fit with the Hawks, and that's Bull Bull. He seems to be really polarizing too, but nobody questions the offensive talent. It's just kind of whether all the question marks come together. So wh- what do you see from Bull Bull as a potential you know, surprise lottery pick kind of guy? Yeah, look, I mean, if he didn't have that injury um, – we would probably be talking about a top five guy, but the injury scares people because he's got those ridiculously thin legs, uh, and 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 the, uh, the foot problems and the big guys always makes people squirm. But offensively, man, I, he's so fluid and so comes so effortless that in this draft, I think it's worth taking a risk. It's worth rolling the dice. Um, obviously, he has to check out in terms of medical reports and doctors have to sign off and say that he's not going to be vulnerable throughout his entire career, or at least no more than any other big guy. But I mean, he shot 13 to 25 from three and, and it looked pretty smooth. He ranked in the 98th percentile out of the post can create shots over e- either shoulder. He's coordinated. Uh, he looks awkward, but he moves fluidly. He put, can put the ball down. And it does a lot of different things uh, offensively that seven, two guys, don't normally do outside of Kristaps Porzingis. Now you mentioned the defense. Yeah, he, he's got to work on keeping his motor up. His sense of urgency has been something that's been talked about uh, dating back to high school. But I think that that this early in his career to kind of say he's not going to be a def- good defender because in high school or because in nine games of college he looked a little bit sluggish. I mean, I'll take that seven eight wingspan and I'll work with him on improving his conditioning, his awareness, his his energy. Uh, so I think he's got the chance to be. Maybe the steal of the draft, on the other hand, of course, if you take him early enough, he's got the chance to be the bust of the draft, depending <laughs> on uh, you know how uh, how durable he can be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's a boomer bust kind of, kind of player, but you know, especially if you were the Hawks and you take a safer guy, uh, you know, Culver Hunter, somebody like that in the five six range might uh, give you some some license to take a swing. And yeah, that, why not? Um, yeah, makes makes some sense. Um, you know, we talked about a bunch of big guys. What's your general philosophy on on big men now in the NBA? It's sort of an interesting, broad question, but but looking at the draft, some people just push bigs naturally down now with the way the game is being played at the highest level in the playoffs. Are you someone that takes that into account, or how do you sort of um, try, to, try to project these guys looking forward in this playoff environment? I try and ignore the way, uh, you know, just because the, the modern game favors bigs who shoot threes, uh, and defend multiple positions. I try to look at the player in, in, in a vacuum and, and kind of ig- ignore all that stuff. Uh, you know, I always like to think like Shaq is like the anti-modern day center, but if Shaq was coming into the league now, he'd still dominate around the basket. So I, I like to just take the best guy, and, and if the best guy does things that the modern day big man doesn't normally do, but he does them really, really well, then uh, then he's probably going to do it really well, and, and that's still going to hold value even if it doesn't fit the, the new philosophies of these teams. So again, now I try and keep looking in the vacuum, take the best 
available player, uh, regardless of uh, how tall he is or what his particular skill set is and whether it matches what the NBA, uh, what the theme is in, in the league. So, yeah, I, I try not to to let that stuff um, affect my evaluations. Um, and that makes sense, um, especially, you know, if you're trying to figure out, you know, not every not every team is going to be able to play that way. <laughs> it's kind of right. interesting to see how uh, teams are constructed um, in an off-the-radar sense. Um, is there... You know, looking ahead, the Hawks have these three picks projected in the top 15 of the second round, so three, you know, between 35 and 45 kind of picks. Are, are there a few guys that you like that might go in that range? I know that's sort of a broad question, but <laughs> it's it's tough to try to scout when you know you have three second round picks, and I imagine they wouldn't make all three of those picks, frankly. But right. um, if they were to um, try to find some value there, is there a guy or two that you like in the early second round that might be interesting? I love Jumo Kiki, who just tore his ACL in the NCAA tournament, and honestly, if he didn't. Terry's ACL, he might be top 15 for me. Uh, and, and still, even still today, I, I know the last board I had of him was 22, and that was even after he tore his ACL. I don't know where he's going to go in the draft. Uh, but I, I, if you can get Chumu Okiki, I think, in, in early second round, I think you're getting a, a lottery-type talent who probably wasn't going to play much as a rookie anyway. So um, he's one of those buy-low guys. I like. I hate to say it, Jonte Porter is another guy who tore his ACL twice. But if he, he was a guy who had the lottery for most of the year, and um, you know why not in the second round with all these picks? Those are, are potentially value picks, um, and you're not passing on anybody that's can't miss that late. Uh, if we're talking about regular players who actually have both working knees, um, uh, I like Lou Dort from Arizona State as a good a good value pick in that round. He's a, a tough two guard, uh, really gets up into you defensively. Can make shots, needs to just improve his decision making and, and overall floor game and and creating and particularly his finishing. But uh, Lou Dort is a guy I'd watch. And um, how about Chamari Pons? Uh, if if Atlanta's looking for another a punch behind uh, Trey Young, I know Trey Young gives you a lot of offense, but Pons is a guy who um, I think is he kind of lost some of luster because he doesn't have great uh, floor general qualities as a guy who runs your offense. But coming off the bench, uh, Pons from from St. John's, by the way, he, he man, he can he's a firecracker. He can catch fire, and I think his role is suited uh, for that bench spark role. And uh, it would be a, a nice one-two punch maybe for Atlanta if when Trey Young comes out of the game, you have another guy who can really catch fire and give you those points in bunches. Yeah, at some point they're going to have to get a backup point guard, and uh, it may not be a traditional one necessarily, but uh, Pons is very talented. He can really mm-hmm. score. Um, I could ask you about players all day, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to sort of take it off the radar just for a minute and ask you sort of how you got here. I know I've, I've followed you for a long time, but people often ask how people will get into this kind of stuff. So sure. where did you start and how I was, and I also, I think people probably know, but tell people what you're doing now full time. Cause I know, um, you're, this is kind of your gig now. Yeah. Uh, this is my seventh season as uh, Bleacher Report's, uh, NBA draft analyst, um, before Bleacher Report. I wrote for NBADraft.net, which was the first company, I believe, that like created basketball mock drafts and something I used to read as a kid. I fell in love with the draft process growing up and coming out of college. I graduated Syracuse 2008. I actually worked for the New York Islanders uh, in marketing, and I just wanted to be in sports. And I always tell people to figure out what you want to do in life. You got to figure out what you don't want to do first and figure it out. <laughs> Working for the Islanders was what I did not want to do. Um, and uh, in my downtime, I was doing some writing, writing scouting reports. And uh, 
NBADraft.net brought me on to write articles pretty much for free, and it was a hobby, and I'm one of the fortunate ones who seven years ago got the call from Bleacher Report when they were bought out by Turner Sports, and uh, yeah, that was somehow seven years ago, and so, um, you know, I've gotten to do what I love. Uh, I'm very fortunate again, and, and uh, but that's how I ended up here. Yeah, we have sort of a similar path. In fact, we're the same age. I graduated 2008 as well from college and uh, did my uh, my own sports management journey before I got to now writing <laughs> right. and doing stuff like that. So that's kind of funny. I didn't realize that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a question that I get of like, how do people do this? I'm like, well, let's ask. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think I've taken enough of your time, but uh, I know you're at Bleacher Report. Please tell people where they can follow your work. I'll, uh, of course, link to it as well. But please tell people where they can find you in the next couple of weeks. It's going it's to get very, very busy as if it's not already busy. Yeah, um, I'll head to Chicago for the G League Elite Camp and uh, the NBA Combine, uh, which is going to be a fun week. And, uh, you know, I'll be uh, pumping out tweets and articles uh, pretty frequently. And probably uh, it's going to become very mock draft heavy over the next couple of uh, months. And can't wait for NBA lottery night so we can stop talking about. <laughs> hypothetical situations we could talk about the the order and, and how it's really going to play out i totally agree i cannot wait to uh, actually know where the hawks will be picking because that will <laughs> right. very much help in all of this kind of stuff so uh, we, yep. uh, we're aligned on that one well thank you sir i really appreciate you joining me and i'll be following throughout the process yes sir thanks for having me as for everybody else please stay tuned and we'll be back again later in the week